Live. Laugh. Howdy, 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 everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Live, Laugh, Lariat. I'm Daniel. I'm Christian. And boy, do we have a great show for you this week. We have an interview with Ref Stash Chris Wiggins. We are going to let you know that he does. He likes to be called Ref Stash. So That's very important. Everybody calling him Mustache Ref, you're doing it wrong. This is straight from, from Chris's mouth. From now on, we do declare Ref Stash. We live in Stash Country. We live in Stash Country. We're excited about that interview. Uh, that'll be coming up for you shortly. Also excited about DPW this weekend. Yeah, it's it's going to be a great show. Great show. We've got Takeshita versus Colby, which is going to be nuts. We got Bojack defending the world title. No, no, well, no. He he's challenging for the world. Challenging title. for the world. I was title. so used to him being champion. Yeah, he was he was the champion. He led us in from the dark ages to where we are now. And then we have Andrew, Andrew Everett. Everett versus Calvin Tankman. And what is sure going to be one of I and I, I tweeted about this earlier this week, but I think Calvin Tankman is the hardest hitting wrestler in the world. Some of the stuff that he does literally makes me feel like I am about to like like I am the one getting hit, and that is just insane. So that's going to be a good match, and yeah, I'm excited for it. Yeah, it, it's it's going to be great, and we have a great show lined up. And man, oh man, I am I'm excited. Yeah. It's going to be great. And speaking of great, let's hop into this week's episode, which is going to be an interview with Ref Stash. So we hope you guys enjoy, and we will see you at, at the end. How's it going, everybody? My name is Daniel. And I'm Christian. We're joined here by, do you, is it Ref Stash, or do you, how, how do you like to be preferred to <laughs> Uh, so I try to use Ref Stash to to go branding, but DPW yeah. <laughs> has labeled me as Mustache Ref. Charlotte, yeah. North Carolina has labeled me as a cop and not a referee. Yeah, um, some people just call me Wiggins. Uh, so you, you 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 pick one, and we'll go with it. We'll go with Ref Stash because that's what we want to be pro Ref Stash here. We're supporting the, the brand. It's what we do. Oh. So. <laughs> Uh, we really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today. Um, our, I would say our introduction, it's funny that you mentioned um, Charlotte Calls You a Cop. We were at the MLW show in um, February, and the first match you came out, you were kind of standing there, and then the whole crowd started canning, he's a, he's a cop, which I thought was hilarious at the time. And oh, then yeah, kind of here we are, almost the end of the year, and now we're having a conversation with you. So that's that's fun. Um I guess we'll kind of get started. Um, I think we're really interested in everybody's journey with wrestling because wrestling is this massively popular thing, but at the same time, it feels like it's like so small. Like, I guess it's it's hard to find people that like wrestling. It's hard to find people like in that scope, but it, it's such a massive industry where so many people like make their living that way. How did you like, did you grow up watching wrestling? Where was your kind of like first exposure to wrestling? I am a third generation wrestling fan. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, crazy. So uh, I was born and raised in Augusta, Georgia. And uh, here we have the Bell Auditorium. It's a very, very small place. It probably holds at most like maybe 3,000, 4,000 place, uh, you know, people. Mm-hmm. And um, my grandfather used to take my dad. They had Monday Night Wrestling. It was part of oh. the, the Georgia Championship Wrestling mm-hmm. Tour kind of thing, the NWA Tour. And uh, so every Monday night, 
my dad would go to that. As I grew up, my grandfather tells me the story over and over and over again before he passed away. He would tell me the story over, over and over again. This was his one story. He said, I remember one of the times I babysat you. You were two years old, and I was laying on the couch, and then you were standing there between the coffee table and the couch. And all I had on was wrestling on Saturday morning, and you would, you're, you were glued to the TV. And then you would turn around, and you'd be like, hey, I want some more. And I'd take you that little scoop of pudding, and i put it right in your mouth, and you turn <laughs> right back around, and you just got stuck <laughs> on it. Yeah. And so that's not my memory of wrestling. That was what my family had told me for years. Well, That's like, well, you were told. Saying, hey, yeah. yeah. I'm 37 years old now. I've been a wrestling fan since I was two. Yeah. Uh, I, I really don't know much more than wrestling. It's your world. Yeah. yeah. It's it, always it's, been there. It is my world. It's always been there. I have the pictures of me and my little onesie holding my LJN, <laughs> you know, Hulk Hogan, Hibbley Jim from the two pack, uh, you know, my little, you know, red rider, tricycle in my wagon i still have all those things nice. every christmas has always been like oh what does christopher want christopher wants wrestlers you know one year my grandmother bought me like as many as the globe WWE, <laughs> you know mm. uh wcw excuse me I'm, I'm totally gonna butcher some of this stuff oh, don't worry. Um, wcw action figures and then it was a hasbro's and then as i got older it was like yard selling my Hasbro's off so I could buy the Jacks because oh, yeah. you know, that's, that's awesome. New, that's great. You know, so it's just it's it's always been there. I was missing family events before I even got into the wrestling business. Oh wow! Because yeah. I grew up. Uh, I was born in '85, but I didn't really understand wrestling until the mid '90s. Mm-hmm. So big hotbed Monday Night Nitro. You know, I, I'm two hours away from WCW. So I got all the little crappy Saturday night wrestlings and, you know, we got a major nitro here, you know, Mm. when Medusa dropped the belt in the trash can, that was Georgia. That's awesome. And I got to witness that. And, you know, I got to see a clash of champions when I was growing up. I've seen a lot. Uh, I've gotten from some history moments of good stuff Mm. from that, right? These big moments. But I'm going to go ahead and just bring this one out early. Okay. I was also part of the worst wrestling pay-per-view in history, December to Dismember. Oh, no. Oh. <laughs> and I was in the front row. I was sitting behind Taz and Joey Styles. Oh, wow. And there were some really corny moments, like when Sandman comes out, me and my buddy, like, you know, slap hands, we're on camera doing that, uh, to the point where I have, like, a Matt Hardy sign. If you look <laughs> up December to Dismember, there's a – wikipedia page for it and they use one of my cm punk signs as as the the thumbnail awesome. so wow. that was cool yeah uh but i also almost got kicked out because i <laughs> fell asleep at the show <laughs> no <laughs> on camera <laughs> and yeah so i was like man if WWE ever captured my face at that moment which it's everywhere yeah i'm probably never gonna get hired from them because yeah. of that reason <laughs> and uh, it that. was it was rather interesting uh, that night. We knew that Rob Van Dam was leaving WWE because his wife was sitting three seats down from us. Oh, and wow. She started oh, wow. half of the TNA chance that night. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. So I've had moments like that as far as like being a fan. Yeah. Uh, but I also got that super cool moments where my first pay-per-view that I remember that I actually purchased tickets to was 2002 Royal Rumble. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. So I got to see some cool stuff from that. It's, it's funny. Like, you sit here and we've, we talked a little bit about how wrestling 
like brings people together, but it's a small group, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and I, the one thing I would say is like, there are a lot of people that like wrestling. There are very few people that will admit it. Yeah. And there's even a smaller group of people that will actually admit that they love it. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like just listening to like the couple of podcasts you guys have produced already, you're definitely one of those guys that like, we call like, I have a friend that I met through the independent wrestling and he's a fan and we call each other super fans. He's actually like five or six years older than I am. So he remembers all the 80s stuff. Oh, yeah. wow. That's awesome. And we consider each other super fans. So we're a small group of people who actually understand the business. Yeah. I understand how it works and, but are still able to believe and like understand what we're watching and why we watch it. And it's very hard to explain to people who don't, who don't get it. Like yeah. why we watch it. It's, um, almost, it's almost like a, a different language too. Like when you're that deep into it, we'll catch ourselves saying things that like my wife, for instance, we were watching a movie and I'll call a guy a heel and she just <laughs> looks at me like I'm the dumbest person. Like, what are you talking about? I, like, um, this week I was talking to my boss and, um, I, I was like, yeah, I'm kind of afraid that, um, that, that Andrew has heat with me and he's like, heat yeah, with you. <laughs> I'm like, Oh, 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 wait. <laughs> Yeah, it's almost like you forget it's a different like it's a different world and sometimes you kind of draw yourself back in. But you mentioned that you're a fan and you obviously have a long history as a fan, but you're also in the business now. And one of the questions I had which you kind of answered is is this something that are you still watching weekly? Are you still like an avid fan of wrestling? And has it changed for you being like involved with it how you enjoy it? Time has really just slipped away from me when it comes to wrestling. When AEW started, I was watching religiously. That really brought me back to mm -hmm. watching wrestling. There were a few times where I dipped into like watching WWE because there were interesting things happening. It, three hours was a lot for me to watch on a oh, Monday yeah. night. It's tough, and, and really just the ability to have you know DVRs and stuff like that kind of made me go, "Oh, I can watch wrestling whenever I want to." And then I would forget that I actually had all these hours of wrestling to watch. Yeah, right, 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 and. Part of my ADHD is like mixed with OCD. So I really have to like, I feel the need of watching everything in chronological order. Yep. So if I was missing like 10 weeks worth of stuff, I would have to go all the way back. Very Start beginning. from the beginning. Yeah. And so I, I get lost. I try to watch as much as I possibly can. Being in the business really didn't change my perspective of watching wrestling. I would say that there are certain things that I don't watch wrestling for anymore. You know, I will spend time watching three weeks of NXT just to watch tag matches, just mm -hmm. so I can watch the referees and see how they interact. Okay, interesting. Matches. Oh, that's great. At one point in time, I ran a independent company in Augusta, Georgia. Oh, wow. Uh, from 2012 to 2016. And I was going to every show I could possibly go to that came within three or four hours. And it was just to watch production. Mm -hmm. Or it was just to watch how they tore down the ring and how they broke down their setups. Because I I remember from Beyond the Mat, Paul Heyman saying, I can't compete with WCW. I can't compete with WWF. But what I can do is, you know, hide the negatives and insinuate the positives. Yeah, I remember that. That's so what I, would, what I would do is I take the concept and I would say, okay, what what is the, who's the best right now? And obviously at WB at the time, it's the best. Mm -hmm they're probably still the best in the world depending on like what you're really looking at. Yeah. Uh, but I was like, how can I take that and I can scale it down to my level? Well, I knew that television wasn't a thing here in W in, in Augusta. WWE never ran television anymore after December to dismember. And <laughs> I was like, so house shows. 
So I went to a lot of house shows and I would watch like how they had set up it. This time they started like trying to rebrand their house shows and using like a video wall and doing some pre-tapes and stuff. I said, this is what an average fan sees. This is what they need to see when I run my independent show. Oh, that's great. And essentially that's what I did. Okay. We had two video screens and, and now pretty much every indie company has a oh, video yeah. screen of some sort, yeah. you know, it's, um, unless they're it's really ahead of the curve too. Strong. Yeah. And unfortunately, like for us, we were so ahead of the curve that the business, there wasn't a lot of talent. So yeah. you had, you had Georgia wrestling and a lot of people were using the same people in Georgia, but so I was trying to get guys from Florida. I was trying to get guys from Virginia, trying to get guys from North Carolina. I, I that's essentially uh, how I met my brother-in-law, Ethan case. Okay. That's how <laughs> I met Anthony. That's, Henry. that's how I met James Drake. One of the guys that's in WWE now that uh, has mentored me for many years, uh, D.A. Brewer. That's how I met him. I met a lot of guys through just running my show. That's awesome. And that's great. Uh, we, we tried to help those guys really early in their careers to see different things uh, and see things from different perspectives. Like Anthony Henry's, and I hate to throw him underneath the bus, but Anthony Henry is a beast when it comes to wrestling. We all yeah. know that. But his promo skills were terrible. <laughs> like, they were just, they didn't exist. Like, he just thought everything was a cadence. It's like, no, this is not a wrestling match. Like, you got to take your five-minute thought process and turn it into 60 seconds. Yeah. So we, we kind of worked with him and developed him and showed showed him that, like, hey, there is this thing called character. And you can develop it. You do mm -hmm. have a personality. And we're going to bring it out of you to where pro wrestling experience, PWX, who used to run, like, Charlotte, yeah. that area, and Concord stuff. They gave him a huge opportunity. It was like, wait a second. Yeah. We see this product down here in Augusta. Mm -hmm. You're doing this with Anthony Henry. We could totally, we can do more with him now. He's not just a wrestler. Yeah. So it was like opportunities like that. And, and you know, that was one of my little caps, my little feather in my cap, I guess you'd say, that I did. Like, I can bounce around forever. I try to give you more chronological, like, timeline mm -hmm. if, if you – uh, so I started wrestling in high school, amateur wrestler. Uh -huh. um, I wanted to be a wrestler since I was in kindergarten. I, I knew then, like when you go to school and they make you do that, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? I did not want to be a fireman. I didn't want to be a doctor. I want to be a wrestler. My dad's 6'4". My mom is 5'2". I got caught <laughs> in the middle. Uh, I'm 5'9". And uh, so when I, I learned I was that small, I knew it wasn't WWE material. Uh I wanted to go to ECW when I got into high school. Eventually that shut down. WCW shut down. So I was kind of like, I'm out. Yeah. Um, I met some guys in high school that did backyard wrestling. And I was like, cool, I'll go and be a referee or a manager. And because I like psychology. Mm -hmm. That's like my favorite part of wrestling is the psychology. Yeah. And uh, they were like, nope, you're going to be uh, you're you're going to be a wrestler because you wrestle in high school. And at the time, Tough Enough came out. So that's how I turned my that's how I taught myself how to wrestle. And I could do more things than most guys could do. And eventually, like, this backyard fed turned into an indie company. And the indie company, you know, got me a couple bookings outside of the Augusta area, like in Charleston and Columbia and stuff like that. And that's how I kind of met some other people. And I got more training on the road. That's awesome. Uh, eventually, the company, really cool. the company closed down. And the business partner that owned the company came to me probably, like, I think it was, like, four years later. It was like, hey, um, you know, I'm thinking about opening up the company again. Would you help me out? Like, would you go in business with me? And I was like, only if you're going to go into business, like if we're going to do this as a business, let's do it as a business. Yeah. We can book our friends, but we're going to book them based on their level of experience, like what they're going to bring to the table. 
if they're not working, then we got to get rid of them. And we're going to bring in people that we don't even know. And so that was like moments we brought in guys like Hale Conley. Um, yeah. We brought in like Cedric Alexander, Jimmy Rave. And we had Sabu who just like called us up out of the blue before he went to Tokyo and was like, hey, I'm fixing to do a tour in Japan. Like, I would love to come work with you. We're That's awesome. two hours away from you. Like, can we make some money real quick? I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, let's do it. So we met a lot of cool people. And this segues into how I became a referee. Mm-hmm. I Independent referees are really hard to find. And I needed one consistently. So uh, oh. entrepreneur-like mentality, create the solution. I, I'll just be a referee. And uh, I kind of joked around with it a couple of times. And eventually, I, I kind of started doing it. And I was like, oh, I'm actually pretty good at this. Man, I wish I would have rent the rest of school when I, when I got out of high school instead of going to college. Yeah, I, I never used anything that I got from college. So, <laughs> great. <laughs> but I became a referee, and Anthony Henry was gracious to start taking me to places. And then eventually I be, kind of became his driver because his driving is terrible. <laughs> and <laughs> he would – we would be going in the mountains of, like, West Virginia, and he's got a cell phone, like, watching – like all Japan, this is not. That's incredible. I love that. That's dedication, though. But it really is. Like every time, I don't even. I don't even ask him anymore. After I've known him, shoot, for like ten years now. Like I don't even ask. Like, what are you watching? I know it's either TikTok or about animals, or he's watching wrestling. I love so that. That's just, awesome. You know, I, I was gracious enough to to tag along with him, and and he introduced me to a lot of people, and um. You know, the first like big match that I ever got to referee was uh, Anthony Henry versus Tommaso Champa. Oh, oh nice. wow! I got to do they they wrestled each other three times at PWX. So I got to do all three of those matches, and I've gotten from like I was I was an Anthony Henry guy. So anybody Anthony Henry wrestled, I got to work with. So I got to work with like Matt Riddle and Martin Stone and stuff like that, and just so got to do go, like going really back cool to stuff. PWX. Um, my first independent show ever and just happening right after i moved to north carolina was a pwx show um ethan case beat john schuyler in the main event for like their world title and it was at a bar like my i got my dad to bring me um <laughs> so that's my little pwx connection and like it was great like the american wolves were there the bravado brothers when when, when they were in act were there like so what a fun company yeah it was it was a lot of fun and they had like they, they gave me a huge break and, you know, gave me an opportunity to kind of get in there and, and go to like the next level. And um, I met some really cool people that way. Uh, I got to meet Kevin Pierce that way. And um, Frank Gassino who works for like MLW and mm-hmm. Impact Wrestling. He did like stuff back with Ring of Honor and he worked with AEWs. So it's like, you know, getting to meet those people and just kind of rubbing elbows and, and just – just shooting a breeze with people has gotten me some opportunities yeah. that I never thought I would get like just random text messages. Like, Hey, you know, can you come here? Like, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Awesome. I, mean, I think it's really awesome that you did an independent promotion and that's something that like the average fan doesn't really get an insight to this. That's really cool. What are some of the things about running like an independent promotion that an average fan might know, or just some like, if you have any like interesting stories regarding that or like any kind of hectic days or I'd love to hear it. Yeah. Uh, so the company really was ran um, by my by my wife, myself, and my business partner. My business partner did a lot of the production work for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, he made sure that you know the videos were put together, 
and uh, made sure that the guys that he had put those stuff together. My wife did all the social media for us before like social media was super big. She took pictures for us. She ran. She pretty much ran the company. I was just kind of like the Vince McMahon of making sure that everything was done. Yeah. It was. I always said that it was twenty nine days and twenty three hours, twenty one hours, excuse me, of work for three hours of enjoyment. Yeah. Because you're constantly working. You're making sure that your talent's going to be there. You're making sure that the building's going to be secured. You're making sure that like you have the posters out around town. The social media posts are going up. They're being repeated. You know, you're making sure that all these little things are being done. Trailers are packed. You know, making sure that you have the money for concessions, mm -hmm. which my wife was really a big part of that. It's like she ran concessions. She ran the door. She, you know, made sure that our online ticket sales were being done right. And I just kind of put the vision out there. It was the fun part for me was literally writing something in a book, going to people yeah, and telling them my vision and then allowing them to kind of put their spin on it yeah. mm -hmm. of what awesome. they thought it was. So it's like a collaboration. Yeah. You know? It's like literally, you know, putting music together where you take an artist and you're like, Hey, this is how we're going to produce this, but I need you to, to be the artist to kind of put your spin on it and to see those things to come to life, like your ideas to mm -hmm. come to life using human beings and then those human beings would create memories for other human beings. Yeah, that's a great perspective. I was, on that. I was stopped in a McDonald's down the street from my house. I was getting off shift one morning and this, this kid came to me and, and um, after arguing with his parents for a little bit, they finally, he finally got the courage to come up. And he's like, can I ask you a question? It's like, yeah, I assumed that it was gonna be a fire department related question. I'm in my uniform. Mm -hmm. And he goes, um, did you used to wrestle? And was your name the Miami bad boy, Devin Wright? <laughs> and I was like, yes, I did. And he turns around and he goes, I told you it was him. I told you it was him. That was awesome. I love that. My, awesome. my company had been closed by like five years at that point. Mm -hmm. So like to know that the company that I was a part of, because nobody knew who the owners were. So yeah. That was a really cool thing. We were just known as the brand. We were building a brand. Mm -hmm. Right. It, it, we were known as the flatline guys. Mm -hmm. So we, we built this brand just to, to make sure that memories are created for people. And, and that's essentially what ended up happening. And it was, that, that was probably like the best part is knowing that all the hard work that you put together, that people were going to have a lifetime full of memories, or you were giving opportunities to people that never thought that they could be a part of it. You know? Yeah. I think like as a, a kid, you have a dream of, of course, being a wrestler, but like being able to like create wrestling, I think is like that's what we always tried to recreate in our video games growing up. Like the the create a story mode, that's got to be awesome. Just to be able to, like you said, put your thoughts on paper, work with the people, put on a show, and then ultimately create those memories. I mean, it, it's like a beyond crazy concept that you have an idea, you work with people yeah. to create that idea, and then people pay money to see it. Like that's like. I don't know. That's just so cool. It seems like like you like the dream. Like, I mean, that's something that like one day down the road we would love to do. It's an awesome story. Can we talk a little bit about the Miami Bad Boy a little bit? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Um, you want me to just dive into it? Or oh, yeah, go ahead, jump right in. I don't know where to start. Uh, um, so. so yeah, uh, so before. Video games were really cool. We had goodly good create creative characters mm -hmm. and stuff. 
you know, I grew up like in the WWF Warzone era. Right? Yeah. And then uh, luckily I ended up get, we ended up getting the Smackdowns and stuff. But action figures, I used to do my own little show. I had a little like eight millimeter camera. And I created my own show and I took a Shawn Michaels action figure because it was like the most acrobatic style uh-huh. at the time that I could like the best. Had really cool gear. I, even though I'm like I'm not a huge Shawn Michaels fan. I'm over Bret Hart guy. <laughs> but uh, anyways, my heart so, it just broke a little it's uh, fine i'll get over it but i think we're gonna have to work on this because <laughs> a lot of my gear was after right <laughs> oh so, i love that that's great um but yeah so there was this really cheesy like c-rated dc comic called divine right and mm-hmm. it was like an archangels kind of character and it looked really cool so i just like came up with this name I took Divine Wright and turned it into Devin Wright for whatever mm, reason. I have great. no idea how I came up with that name. But for years, I had this action figure. And it was just always like Devin Wright, Devin Wright. And as I got older as a teenager, I kind of quit playing with action figures. And um, I watched a lot of like Razor Ramon, Shawn Michaels wrestling. I lo- My dad kind of looked like Scott Hall mixed with like mm. Mike Awesome kind of deal. It's kind of weird. But so a lot of people called him Razor Ramon a lot. So he would joke around. He always had a toothpick. So that was kind of cool. Yeah. And then I realized that there's a similarity, not knowing that this was kind of a ripoff almost, but there was a similarity between Scarface and Razor Ramon. Mm-hmm. And I was like, cool. I'm going to mix like a modern day version of Razor Ramon and Scarface, but try to wrestle like Bret Hart and Jerry the King Lawler. Yeah. Cause I like I like the Memphis. Like mm-hmm. I, I wasn't, I was, athlete, I was semi-athletic, but I was really nervous about doing crazy stuff. So up until so that point, I, had I, you I, ever been to Miami? I'd never been to Miami. <laughs> um, I love I'm naturally like my mom is full blooded Puerto Rican from the Bronx. Uh, my grandparents are from Puerto Rico. Uh, I, the time era that I grew up in far as like indie wrestling Everybody wore black and red, and my dad was like, "This is terrible." Because um, I started off with like gym shorts and a Scarface T-shirt, yeah, uh, and it was just like kick pads and wrestling shoes that I had from high school. And finally, I found a gear maker, and he was like, um, "You need to go with something completely different." Everybody's doing the same thing. Let's go with fuchsia, and I was like, "Pink?" He's like, "No, fuchsia, like almost like a watermelon color." Mm-hmm. And where they're going to use is like royal blue in your name. So I, I'm also a huge Shane Douglas triple threat, yeah. you know, ECW yeah. mark. And so I used the diamond from the from the triple threat. Mm-hmm. Uh, I used a Van Halen logo to use DW. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And I came up with Devin Wright. Uh, I was doing a radio skit here locally to put over a benefit show. And I was wrestling this guy named Morgan McNeil and he was the brave hearts, Morgan McNeil. And they're like, you need to have like a nickname. So I don't have one. They're like, well, where are you from? It's like from Miami, Florida. He's like Miami bad boy cut to the radio spot. He goes, Hey, now we're here with the Miami bad boy. And I was like, Oh, like so <laughs> it's over just, now. I was given, <laughs> yeah. I was given the name Miami bad boy. And, and that's it seems like that's how it always was. works. <laughs> yeah. That's the good stuff. Like when you don't create your own stuff and people just kind of throw it in your lap and you go with it. But so, it was a different persona of me. Like I said, I'm an introvert. So mm. I, the inner part of me was like this cocky, arrogant guy who doesn't care what other people think. And I really didn't like as a wrestler, I, my, I could be a, I could be a good guy. I really could. 
I knew how to do that stuff. But I was like, man, it's so easy to be a good guy. It's too yeah. easy to be a good guy, right? In wrestling, when you're booking, you send out the heel first. That way the fans understand, hey, this is the bad guy. And the the worse the bad guy, the easier job the good guy has. Oh, yeah. Right? I've yeah. always wanted to say, it's, we're, we're taught as humans to like other people, right? We're taught as humans not to be rude and be mean to other people and be respectful, right? So I was like, I'm having to work really hard at being rude and being mean without <laughs> being cheesy, you know? Like, yeah. I didn't want to go like, oh, you stink, you're, you're a drug, you know, like, oh, the, the you know, Charlotte's a terrible town. It's, it's not even worthy of my time. Like, that was terrible. Yeah. Uh, so what I learned through psychology and the business itself was through Jake Roberts, that if I could get one person, if I could just focus in on one person, I could eventually multiply into three people. Three is going to turn into 10. 10 is going to turn into 50. 50 is going to turn into 100. 100 is going to turn into 1,000, right? That's awesome. So I would work on like two or three people at a time. And that's why even when I was a, even when I was a good guy, I used my emotion. And it was like, I had friends tell me, he's like, you were a pretty good wrestler. Like your moves weren't that great because you did generic stuff. Like I did Jerry Waller fist drop. I did Shawn Michaels elbow. Like I did a, a patent Shawn Michaels elbow drop, the whole mm. like, ah, you know, thing. But my ability to sell made people believe that like he's really hurt. Like I think that this guy is legitimately hurt, and we need to get behind him. And it was just a, all, it's a lot of theatrics, it's a lot of emotion, yeah. and and you know I really like the ability to control people through whatever actions I have. So like as a bad guy, I was able to go out there and just just give people dirty looks, just do dumb things like. Mm -hmm. Spitting gum on the ground in front of somebody, people would get low. <laughs> you know, they would go to my mom and be like, your son's a terrible human being. How did oh you God. raise this kid? You know, uh, so that was that was kind of my thing. I it was just, it was kind of it, the wrestling style. Like I said, it was like Bret Hart with a, a you know a little bit of Jerry Lawler from Memphis kind of stuff, and, and you know, but the attitude was like Scarface. Uh, you know, Razor Ramon, uh, a little bit of franchise Shane Douglas, maybe a time or two I would throw in a little bit of you know Steve Austin or something just because that's that awesome. Did um, did you have a catchphrase? Cool way to end a I, promo. I I never came up with a catchphrase, and that's okay. I never did. It's really okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was I was all over the place. Like I did, I had three different wrestlers wrestling mm -hmm. characters that I've done. Um, I've done all three of them at the same time. Uh, kind of like dude love style. Were, uh, in a way, in a way. I was doing two characters in one show and one character I could not get over at a show. So I, I, I ended up doing this character probably like another three hours outside of my town. Mm -hmm. uh, I tried I tried bringing it to where I lived and they're like, nah, we remember you. You're the Miami <laughs> bad boy. Uh, I, so I believe in wrestling that – really good characters are a piece of you. Oh, yeah. They don't have to be you turned up to 11, but they're a piece of you and something that you can relate that you can put over and you, and you figure out how to connect with other people. So I went through a time when I graduated from high school where just kind of in the dumps and like my girlfriend broke up with me. She took off out of town. We had all these great like summer plans and I just quit my job. And I had no idea what to do. So I was just really angry. And I got a hold of FMW tapes. Mm -hmm. wow. And I fell in love with Terry Funk. <laughs> and 
I also have been a huge Cactus Jack and, and Mankind fan. So I love the psychology that Mankind brought in his early days. So I mixed kind of a Owl Snow, Mankind, Cactus Jack, Terry Funk character together. And I called him Damien. And it was this Lucha mask from, it was supposed to be a devil Lucha mask. I don't even remember what character it was ripped off. It was a really cheap, corny mm-hmm. mask. Instead of having head, I had a pig. Mm-hmm. It was a stuffed pig. In my mind, I believed this pig was real and he was my best friend. So I went around running around doing hardcore wrestling, doing tables, ladders, yeah. chairs, barbed wire, whatever I get my hands on. Just to kind of get that rage out and eventually mm-hmm. turned into like a cartoon character at one of my shows and just kind of ran off and filled with that. <laughs> and then I did, uh, I, I got into really big conspiracy theories in one time or another. And I came up As with a does. character called Yasir Akbar. And um, I bought the headdress. I bought everything from like Afghanistan and Iran and uh, had a guy like tell me how to properly put it on. Uh, I did the camel clutch, but I did it differently. Like I would use the opponent's arm to choke, to basically put a chokehold on. Mm-hmm. So they were like choking, choking themselves out as I had them in, in, you know, in the camel clutch and I had like, you know, Arabic writing on my pants and stuff. And I did this like a really, really small town. So we got over, it's probably the, the most heat I ever had in my life. I, like that. Uh, I was, I was threatened, you know, to get stabbed, beat up with brass knucks, uh, threatened to have my tire slashed. Um, I had to drive different cars to the venue, had people escort me out. <laughs> I had an old lady almost fall over a guardrail cause she was swinging her cane at me. <laughs> but the character was right after Muhammad Hassan got released. And I was like, I, I like the conspiracy theory of like, well, how did America really treat Arab Americans at that time? And I took the perspective of what happened in 9-11 when I was in high school and how I perceived it. But then I looked at it as how somebody who was an Arab American descent would get treated during the time frame that all this mm-hmm. was going on. And I kind of did some research on that. And I, I use that against, you know, the fans of just saying, you know, like how, how do you take this teenage boy that hap- this crisis happened in, in mm-hmm. a terrifying moment in time that I had nothing to do with it, but because the, the color of my skin, because my name, you really just turn on me. And it's like people that I trusted, teachers, coaches, you know, best friends, mm-hmm. neighbors, everybody looked at me as I was this enemy where I had nothing to do with it. Now I'm going to take that rage and I'm going to get my word out. And the way, the best way I know how is through, through wrestling, you know, like I have an opportunity to talk, mm-hmm. but when I'm done talking, you'll realize in the ring, that you know, like I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna prove to you that uh, Americans are, are weak. You That's know, ninety awesome. percent of it, that it is the greatest babyface promo I've ever heard. Yeah, like nine. Like, it's weird <laughs> that like it's babyface until the switch, and then it's like, but now I'm gonna use this on you, yeah. which I think is every great bad guy gimmick is. Mm-hmm. It makes sense. It's like this is a rational perspective until until the switch, and, and then it's like but this is where he went wrong kind of thing. But like, yeah. Mm-hmm. that's yeah. Cause everything in wrestling is really just confrontation, you know, conflict. Everybody likes conflict and confrontation. They want to see people confront the, the other guy for being a crappy person. Yeah. And, and that's like really where good writing comes from and, and good psychology and stuff like that. And it, it does like, I never really thought about it being, kind of, I, 
I looked at it as at times like I wasn't the, I wasn't wrong. Like mm-hmm. the way I feel shouldn't be looked at as wrong. Like you're you're wrong, and people yeah. really did not like it. The Booker, I had to have a huge control. Like I was just getting back into the business, and I wanted to do something fresh. So I pitched him five minutes uh, of this whole storyline and told him like this is who I could wrestle. This is what I would look like. This is how I would run my promos. This is how we could run this. And I did like probably three to four weeks of just promos before I even wrestled. And eventually he kind of lost sight of it. He was like, Oh, we're going to do like this terrorist thing. And I was like, no, I'm out. This is not what it's supposed to be about. I'm not a terrorist. I'm not supposed to do any of this stuff. Yeah. It went crazy. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm out. Like I've lost control over my character. Mm -hmm. It's time for me, time for me to go. Yeah, that's really interesting. And that's a beautiful thing about independent wrestling is that you have that opportunity to kind of say, like, I, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm going to go yeah. somewhere else. I'll take my ball and go home. So growing up, who was your favorite wrestler? And and why was it clearly Rick Steiner? <laughs> I, you know, this mustache is only two years old. It that's actually, incredible. December 1st is his birthday. I actually told my wife, it's like, yes, happy birthday. Mustache, <laughs> two years old. Happy birthday. Um, I loved Rick Steiner as a kid, believe it or not. Rick and Scott were like really cool. I liked, I, they're one of the few tag teams that I really enjoy watching. I grew up like every other kid in the 80s liking Hulk Hogan. As I got a little bit older and, and really listening to my dad talk about wrestling, he was a huge Bret Hart fan. Mm-hmm. And I understood why he liked Bret Hart. And uh, because he was so clean and crisp about what he did, he was almost as close as you get to a perfectionist when it came to wrestling. Oh, yeah. And so I grew up hating Shawn Michaels, <laughs> dramatically hating Shawn Michaels. Not, not, for, not for the reasons why I hate him now, but for the fact that like I loved how clean and crisp yeah. Bret Hart was. And just Shawn Michaels was kind of all over the place. And my cousins loved Shawn Michaels. So I was like, <laughs> of course you guys do. You guys are all over the place. You love this guy. That's why you would love him. Yeah. Uh, and as time went on, um, I started enjoying Macho Man Randy Savage. As I got into my 20s, I really loved Macho Man. I learned like so much just by watching his promos, like how to carry himself. Mm-hmm. The way he carried himself in the ring, I kind of carried myself as a as a person now. And like when I walk around, and I and had a promoter tell me this not too long ago. He said, I need you to stop getting so big. And I was like, oh, man, am I gaining too much weight? He's like, no, like, <laughs> you look really muscular. And I'm going to need you to tone it down because you're making my wrestlers look bad. And I was like, maybe <laughs> your wrestlers need to get bigger. <laughs> but it's just it's, I, I just kind of carry myself big. I, I throw my shoulders out. I stand up tall. I make sure that I, I don't look at the crowd. I look over the crowd. Mm-hmm. And that was like some of the things that Macho Man did because Macho Man was such a small dude far as in height when he was in the era of Giants. And even though he had like some of the most like meaningless promos, they're some of the most memorable yeah. just because he brought character. Right. Yeah. And that's why so many people loved him. And that's one of the things I was like, man, this guy is so like, you don't have to be in the building to feel his energy. You can get it off the television screen. And like as writing scripts or trying to book matches or ideas of vignettes and stuff, I was like, this is one of the guys that I want to look at just to see how he carries himself, how he, you know, looks into the camera, how he brings emotion out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you go into the ring and you watch the stuff that he did. And it was just like, so like, boom, boom, boom. Everything was just there. Um, 
and that was like one of the things uh, I like. I mean, I grew up in the Attitude Era, so you know, I eventually I liked DX and The yeah. Rock and Steve Austin. <laughs> and you know, I don't so know, I'm, Shawn I'm, Michaels is in DX. I'm just just throwing that out that, there. That is true, but I was not that version of DX of a fan. I was Triple H, yeah. China. The, the New Age Outlaws, come on. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I will give Shawn Michaels his due. Like, Shawn Michaels ultimately uh, is one of the most athletic wrestlers. He has the most – he's one of the most charismatic. As the business side of it, from a wrestling fan, I give his credit. Like, he's he's good. He was, he's great. Like, mm-hmm. let's be honest, he's great. But from a business side, I my argument always was that if Shawn Michaels never got his second run in WWE – he would have never been the great one. He would have never been as good as he is now. Like oh, yeah. his, his, per, like people's perspective of, of him from the business perspective in his later years before he, before he quit the first go was just so bad. Like he was just so hard to deal with and so hard to work with. And I've dealt with people like that from a business perspective. And I was like, Nope, like, yeah. I had it. I had a two strike out rule. Like if you struck out with me twice, that was it. I was never going to let you burn That's me good. a third time. Mm-hmm. The, and, um... and it was just like, get out of here the weird thing for me and i've talked about this on the podcast before is um sean Mike, like i started watching in 2008 i a little bit late to it but the version of sean michaels i knew was just the veteran good work rate like good guy like the the first raw i ever watched was when jericho threw him through the jeratron so i was instantly the biggest sean michaels fan because i'm like oh this guy like he's the freaking man Come, come! Like years later, like you're doing research on stuff. And I'm like, oh my, oh my, same guy? What? <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. quite, it's, a, it's yeah. quite a stark contrast when it comes to him and him versus Brett. It's one of the all time great rivalries, and it, it kind of like defines like, oh, are you a Brett guy? Or are you a Sean guy? It kind of like puts you into a category as, as like a wrestling fan as well. Like you can kind of know a little bit more about somebody based off of like, are you a Democrat or Republican? Are you a Brett? Are you a Sean guy? It's kind of a political party for wrestlers. <laughs> it, it really is. It really is. Awesome. Yeah, it, it, you're right. You're, you're really like a lot of people do that. And it, and it kind of funny. Cause like, so yeah, that, that era. And then you go down, it's like, so were you the rock or you, uh, were you a stone cold Steve Austin? Yeah. You know? Yeah. But though, like th- there's to, unfortunately to that answer, like there's no wrong answer for that one. Cause no. they're both like super amazing. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, both ridiculous. Um, and then, yeah. and then 10 years later you have a couple more off, but it really turns into, Cena or Randy Orton, and but just same kind of thing. But you can make the argument with Cena with so many guys. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I give. I'm not like okay. So I believe in life. You're only allowed to hate one person at a time. <laughs> and so probably for like 15 years, I have hated John Cena. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I do not like John Cena. He solidified he solidified my hate. I don't remember how many last man standing matches he had, right? Between Batista and Jimmy and Randy Orton. But there was a moment, I think he had one with Randy Orton. Like and Randy Orton just beat the living crap out of him for like a solid 10, 15 minutes. And then all of a sudden he just like supermaned up and I was like, man. Like, I can just throw belief out the window all the time, but you can't tell me that you just got beat up for, like, 15 minutes, and all of a sudden you can is, just do all this crazy stuff. Is that any different like, than Hogan, though? I mean, it's so cl- it's same. It's the Hogan formula. It's the same deal. I think that's why he yeah, has such wonder. a while. Because like, you loved Hogan as a kid. A lot of the kids are big John Cena fans. It's like the superhero, the Superman. Like, no matter what, he's going to win the fight. 
And I think like yeah. as you get older and you experience life, it's it, like it's that's almost, not how it works. It's almost from like a, a booking perspective that Vince took that same thing. Hulk Hogan made more money than anyone in the history of the business. And I think he just took that the same thing with Cena and and it it was fine. It, it made money. But I think it was just this this worked in the past, and I'm not going to look ahead to where wrestling is going. I'm going to keep it there. And I think that's why a lot of people can't stand Cena, is not so much because it's Cena, because eventually he turned into a, a really good worker and can work like great matches with all kinds of guys. But, yeah, like, do did, did, did you get what I'm saying yeah. with that? And I, th- I think at a certain point you kind of realize that WWE is not necessarily for us anymore. We went to a Raw maybe three or four months ago. It was the drizzling shits. We left. But the kids in front of us were having the time of our lives. And I was like, this isn't for us. Like, there's independent wrestling. There's there's AEW. There's so much, like, All Japan and WCW. Like, so much stuff you can watch that maybe this is for the kids. Like, this is what we fell in love with as kids. And at a certain point, you kind of mature onto, like, different things. That's yeah, fair. you think about it from, like, a business standpoint, they're, they, they, they taught your parents to watch like well from most ones like they taught my parent my dad like this is wrestling they grew up on like dusty Rhodes and rick flair and you know arn anderson and stuff like that and then you have like my generation of early childhood wrestling the money's in the kids it's always in the kids uh from a, like a huge standpoint mm-hmm. and that's something that i've had discussions with like other business uh other guys in the business of that they're like we're hitting this brick wall we're, we're doing like seven hundred thousand people and we want to go to the next level it's like well you have to figure out how to get out of the niche style of wrestling yeah. and start finding how to get the broad spectrum you're gonna have to get the parents who don't really like watching wrestling they're willing to bring their eight nine year old to a wrestling show you're gonna have to present that some way mm-hmm. somehow and sometimes they listen and sometimes they don't and that eventually just kind of fade away but you're 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 absolutely right. They they they've taught generation after generation, and now it's like this reset. Yeah, it's like oh, now we got the we got the attitude era kids that decided to have children, and uh, we're we're not the same product anymore. So here here we go. We're gonna, you're going to bring your little kids to the show. Yeah, which you know, there's little parts of it that have kind of caught you know wind. You know, Pat Magic coming in, and, mm-hmm. and you know Roman Reigns kind of doing a, you know a little bit of a 180, maybe with yeah. Like we expected John Cena to do it one time or another. That mm. never happened. That's so cool. Um, you know, so it's, it's, there are little, little bits and pieces that are there for us, but I agree. Yeah. I don't believe that there's enough to gain our attention full time. And you're going to pick up those little clips, you know, yeah. off of the social media and, and whatnot. And that's pretty much what you're going to get your hits on. It's almost like the, the Pixar movies. There's always like a little bit for the parents. Like the movie's not for you, but they understand that you're watching, so they'll give you a bone. They'll put a joke here that your kids won't get, but you will, or kind of that story. Yeah, um, I, I know this is going to sound a little weird. I'm going to take John Cena and compare him to Barney. Okay, okay. please do. The only reason I'm doing the only reason why I'm doing this is because uh, I, I think it was Peacock just did a uh, there's like four or five episodes on Barney. And why it was like so hated by a generation. Mm-hmm. The adults <laughs> hated scared Barney me. so much. Right? As kids were like, oh, I love it. Right? So kids love repetition. They love stability. John Cena, same moves over and over again. Right? So they were easy. It was stuff easy to recognize. They could do the same stuff over and over again. 
with their friends. They could do the same stuff overnight. And, and it was wholesome. Like John Cena is wholesome. He's the clean cut, good looking American guy, you know, looks good, big muscles, tells all the cool, funny jokes, does all the cool stuff, beats all the cool people, you know, all mm-hmm. the bad guys up and stuff like that. And that's essentially like Barney was. Barney was wholesome. He was so nice. Uh, he was stability. He did the same thing over and over again. And we as adults don't believe in that bull crap because we're mm-hmm. like, hey, that's not real life. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> The good guy doesn't win every time. For it. You know, mm-hmm. we don't all love each other. You know, yep. so it's just those are kind of the things of like where I was like, man, as like psychology was. That's kind of why I didn't like John Cena so much because I loved rapper Cena. I loved watching yeah. John Cena on the Indies as the prototype. Mm-hmm. But John Cena outside this, you know, with the Spinner Championship belt and all that yeah. stuff. I'm out. I'm out. I'm tapping out. I'm yeah. out. You know, kind of same thing with Roman Reigns. At one point or another, I was like, "I'm tapping out. I'm out of yeah. here. I can't. I can't even. I can't sit here and, and protect you anymore, Roman. Like, you got to go." <laughs> and he really turned it around. He turned it around big time. Yeah, he's the man. We want to make sure that you're cognizant every time. We got like a little bit of like a, a rapid, just like a few questions that should be kind of easy for you to answer um, to kind of close this interview off. I think it's been really great. We yeah, appreciate you coming on. How, how involved are you in the match preparation with the wrestlers? Like, is it something where you talk ahead of time or kind of try to plan things out? Uh, depends on how I would say average referees, they get, they get to finish and maybe some of the business that goes on, like, Oh, the manager's going to get involved or, Hey, don't see this. Don't see that kind of okay. thing. Right. Um, I tried to get my feet in the door and then plant them very firmly. And, I will listen to the matches as much as I, as much as the guys are comfortable with me, I try to get mm-hmm. comfortable with them. And if they're extremely comfortable with me, I at times will tell them, Hey, from a rough, from a referee's perspective, this looks really dumb. And mm-hmm. sometimes I'm very comfortable with them that I can almost agent some of the match. Like, Hey, don't do that. It's not going to make any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe we should try doing it this way. It was one of the things that I did for a couple matches in MLW while I was with them for the, my like three or four shows that I did with them and just kind of coming out and saying like, Hey, that's a good idea. But from my perspective, this doesn't make any sense. Like, you, you know, why would this guy do this? And why would that guy just stand there and just watch his tag team partner do that? That would, that would make yeah. no sense to me. And some of the guys like, ah, and, and, and another agent would come in and say like, Oh yeah, that doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. You know? um, but on average, most referees just kind of get told like, this is what's going on. And that's it. It, it becomes like, you have to show how professional you are. You have to see how smart you are. And mm-hmm. like the guys, the more you work with, with wrestlers, the more they get comfortable with you and the more they're willing to take your insight. Okay. That's a really cool insight into the world. I don't think a lot of us really get to see. So I appreciate you sharing that. Another question. What would you say is the favorite match that you've, you've had the opportunity to call or I don't know if that's the correct term, but no, it's good. Yeah. That's a, that's right now. It would be, Man, it was Work Horseman and Violence is Forever. Yeah. That, I'm not a huge tag team wrestling fan, mm-hmm. at, at, especially not on an independent level, mm-hmm. um, because it's just too much Young Bucks stuff. It's like boom, 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 too yeah. fast. Uh, it's, it's not enough time for people to register stuff. And it's like rule breaking everywhere. Who cares, right? But that match was 
was great from top to bottom mm-hmm. and they went the full time limit. Yeah. That was awesome. And, it was a great and, match. And that was just, it was super awesome. Um, I thoroughly enjoy working with the work horsemen. Mm-hmm. They're one of the most professional tag teams that <laughs> I've worked with, uh, along with chance riser and, and Patty daddy. Hey. Those guys are really awesome. Mm-hmm. I know, I know, but they are, <laughs> they're great. Love them, love them or hate them. They're very professional mm-hmm. and they understand the psychology of tag yeah. uh, of the tag. They know how to work it. They're trying their best to work it. I think as young as they are, if they keep going that same direction and keep on using and, and meeting the right people mm-hmm. that they're, they're meeting now and obtaining cause they're coachable. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're probably my third favorite tag team right now. Awesome. My, my top is FTR. Work mm-hmm. Horseman, and then you know Patty and and Chance. Awesome. Uh, those guys are really fun to work with. Yeah. So I'm, I'm waiting for a Work Horseman and and NDA match. Like I'm waiting. I, yeah. I, I, I thought, hope I get to referee <laughs> that match. I, I, I thought after it, it didn't end up happening at the last TBW show, I'm like I'm convinced. Like anniversary show, they gotta do it. They gotta do it. <laughs> right. But yeah, it's awesome. That um, balances forever. Work Horseman. We were there. That was. Next level. And you're right about uh, the NDA. They're like, they do their role perfectly and they're really fun tag team to watch. So uh, just another question is, this might kind of echo into the last minute. What are some wrestlers that you think more people should know about? Whew, man, because there's so many. Um, I'm going to go with right off the top. Sean Legacy mm-hmm. uh, is a guy from Augusta, Georgia. Uh, he trains with Ethan Case at the Palm Island Wrestling Academy. He just did a NOAA um, oh, wow. seminar. And he did a Noah camp and he's supposed to be tour- doing a tour with them in Japan soon. Awesome. Uh, so hopefully he'll finally get that break. He's a good coachable kid. He's very young. He does exactly what he's supposed to do. He listens, he takes the information and, and he, he cycles that and, and, and uses that information. Chip day from out of Atlanta. He's somebody who should be seen more kind of with the same guys with like slim J that just kind of toured the same areas and just, haven't hit that area to just kind of jump out and, and, and go somewhere. Now that some Jay's like doing all the AW stuff. So that's yeah. great. BK Westbrook totally should be out there. Oh, yeah. And Bojack. Oh man. Bojack has grown so much in the last like two, two years. Uh, anybody who's on the DPW roster that no, that nobody like that just kind of runs in the, in the Carolinas mm-hmm. right now, I think are just DPW. I can't. I sit back and I watch them, and it's like I I begged to be on their show. Like I drove like four and a half hours multiple times to say like, hey, can you can I meet you? Can I meet? You? Can I meet? Because mm-hmm. I'd heard all this buzz about it and like watching these shows, like man, these are this is amazing. Like this yeah. is really cool. Like they had this this following that's building them up, and so I was just like, I, I got to get it on the ground level. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what I was really getting into, and then like seeing. Chance Riser and Patrick, like those guys come in and just tear the house down and just go bananas, you know, like it's unbelievable. And then they're like, oh man, they're bringing in guys from Japan, yeah. from Dragon Gate. And, and then, you know, they're bringing in AEW guys like, wow, this is amazing. But those are some of the people that I can come off like, that's a hard question for me to answer because there's so many guys that I work with that I really yeah. like, but those are definitely the guys that I, that popped in my head really quick. Awesome. Yeah, I, DPW is something special. Once we went to the first show, it was like, yeah, this is where we're going to be every month. Like, no, <laughs> no matter what, 
I had to miss last month uh, at a go to a wedding, but like I'm missing my wife's Christmas party to go to the, on Saturday. So <laughs> a little bit of hot water, but <laughs> I'm not gonna miss that. Um, yeah. you, have, you have any other questions? Yeah, yeah. Um, and this is just something I'm curious about. But this is something I just ask people in life. Um, because it's the season. What's your favorite and least favorite Christmas movie? Oh man. Uh, favorite Christmas movie would be Home Alone. And okay. I think my least favorite would probably be, uh, as I'm probably need some heat for this one, uh, National Lampoon's <gasps> like, Christmas oh. Vacation. I'm I knew there'd be I'm one. Not Chase, I'm, not a, I'm not a Chevy Chase fan. Like, I've tried watching that so many times, and it's like, yeah. I don't get it. Like, I get the whole, like, one-liners and stuff like that. It's just yeah. not my cup of tea. Like, yeah, alone, that's completely so. fine. You're a, um, a Home Alone guy. It's like a Brett versus Sean, but with Christmas movies. Either, like, Home Alone or you <laughs> like National Lampoon's. It's one or the so, other. Can't um, be both. Can we, find the common, can we find the common ground that Die Hard's really not a Christmas movie? Christ- yeah. The Christmas season does not begin until Die Hard finishes. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't make the rules. I don't make the rules here. Yeah. <laughs> Well, we really enjoyed talking to you. I feel like you've got so many stories. We'd love to have you back on again sometime because you've just been a great listener. But we appreciate your time, and we will let you get back to your night. Um, and we'll probably see you this Saturday. Um, hopefully killing it in the, I don't know how, what the term for like a great performance with wrestling or with the refereeing is, but whatever that equates to, we're wishing it the best great. for you. Great referees are often heard but never seen. Yeah, that that's that's the big key, you know. Like, yeah, we want to know you're there when you need to be there. Other than that, get out of the way. Yeah, that's really what it is. Awesome. We're a stagehand. That's really what a referee is. A, a referee Thankless is just job. a stagehand. We're mm-hmm. we're moving people left, right, and like when you get into doing TV and stuff like that, you're you're moving people in direction, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of detail that go into that, but. That's for another podcast for another day. I appreciate you guys having me. <laughs> no problem. I just, I just looked at I was like, man, we've been doing this for an hour. Yeah, it's kind of flown That's by. Awesome. That's but fun. yeah, That's we appreciate your time. And we will uh, hopefully have you on again someday. Have a great night. Yeah, you too. We'll see you this weekend. See ya. Awesome. All right. We hope you guys enjoyed that interview with Ref Stash Chris Wiggins. The this man. Has, this the man. Full of knowledge. We'll definitely have to have him back on uh, to talk some more. So we hope you guys have a good week. Enjoy the show. Enjoy life. Um, have a great one. <laughs>